Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast episode, Vin Diesel and Friends, UX Mania. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and uh, I'm not actually joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. I'm joined this time by special guest, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. He is a longtime listener, uh, Patreon patron, as well as a Discord moderator for us. So, you know, there's a mouthful there, but he's joined us this week to discuss uh, what I'm calling UX Mania. Now, if you're new to the show, you're probably wondering why our episode is called Vin Diesel and Friends. And for that, you have to go back. The last past few episodes have been sort of a little uh, joke that Mike and I have set up as he's been absent. So I'm not going to get into that again. But uh, UX Mania, so what that is, just a really brief synopsis before we jump over to the call UX Mania is sort of, if you've listened to our past episodes regarding UX, or called UX Considerations, or read my articles called UX Considerations, uh, you'll know that what they are, um, are basically little, little views at different UX things that I've come up with. Like I'll be walking through, for example, I was walking through a hospital and was like, hmm, this is kind of an interesting UX situation, and it ended up calling it the newcomer effect, a UX consideration. So stuff like that. So what I've come up with this time are things like, uh, are we getting lazier, uh, what's what's utilitarian ux and what 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 do wearables have to do with it and you know should wearables have it etc and then the reason why it's ux mania is because the web news this week is also uh ux based but anyway uh if you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us there's a couple ways that you can do that you can review us on apple podcast or on the podcast platform that you're listening to this on you can also check us out on patreon we have a couple of tiers right now but that three dollar tier will give you a shout out in the podcast and we will share a link to your website in our show notes and probably the most important one is just to tell your friends or anyone else that you know that's interested in web development that we are here and ready to be listened to and if you or your friends want to go a step further you can always join our discord server discord server is very active now we have a few moderators in there as well well over 200 members lots of people chatting away getting help with stuff talking about video games talking about movies chatting about different stacks and what apps they want to use what frameworks etc etc all kinds of great web development chat come and check that out and without further ado i'm going to cut to the i almost said interview it's not really an interview just a kind of a standard episode but this time with special guest sean from rabbitworks javascript so let's take it away Alrighty, Sean. So weekly pain point, take it away. So my weekly pain point is getting my foot in the door in a career as a self-taught developer, because uh, everything that I know I've taught myself or learned from YouTube videos and online resources and whatnot, I don't have any real formal training as a developer. So everything that I have is self-merited. So that puts me at a slight disadvantage as far as what I look like on paper to a hiring manager that might not understand that I run a live coding YouTube channel and I'm well-versed in a plethora of skills, web-based skills and graphic design skills on top of that. But all they see is that I don't have a four-year college degree in computer science and I get shuffled to the recycle bin. So that's my weekly pain point is just trying to break into the industry professionally. Would you say with that, because um, you're mentioning that you have a YouTube channel and that, would you say that hiring managers uh, would value that information or do they not even, like, are you including that in your resume? Do you, and if you do, do you think that 
they would actually like, you know, take value in that? Or do you think it's something that you need to kind of present in the interview? Like you need to verbally tell them like, Hey, I run this, you know, this live stream. I do these tutorials. I teach people, et cetera. Yeah, I definitely have to, well, I've definitely found that I get better results when I bring that up uh, manually myself and mention the fact that I do run a YouTube channel where I do live coding and coding videos and all this kind of stuff. Because even though it says it on the paper, it doesn't get, it doesn't register until I really bring it up to their attention. And then once that avenue of uh, communication has been opened, then it seems like the whole like, okay, we can work with you a little bit more starts to blossom a little bit. And then it just runs and I just run into the roadblock of, oh, there's no junior developer positions that we know of right now. Oh, of course, of course. It's like the classic fight between like, you need experience to get a job, but like every job needs experience. So you're just sort of in this weird, this weird like limbo. The only way it seems almost to get a job almost guaranteed is kind of as a co-op these days, because they're literally expecting you to not have any or very little experience. But yeah, and I've heard things like uh, from recruiters saying that at the beginning of the year is definitely a lot easier for junior development positions to open up because the budget's reset and all that stuff. And I definitely like, if I can just get these hiring managers or get in communication with a hiring development kind of like manager or a senior engineer kind of person and just explain to them, I have been doing, I mean, I have over a year of content now doing live streams on a weekly basis, at least for over an hour, each of them. So there's tons of material out there saying that I have more than qualified. It's just that when it's just, I hit that roadblock of like the hiring manager doesn't know what they're reading because they're HR, not tech. And they just see that I don't have the experience that the job requirements are asking for. So it is a very, like, it is a very back and forth, kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place trying to get your foot in the door. Have you considered, like, I know that a couple of guys from our, from my college program, they ended up getting hired, as far as I understand it, like out into roles that are, they are of higher requirement than what we actually received from the education, like, institute. And so we, or they, they got those jobs because, or at least one of them did, because he ran like just a traditional website where he had like a blog where he like wrote up what he was doing. And then he had videos here and there about what he was doing, that type of thing. Have you considered maybe, because I understand that live streaming and even YouTube videos, I guess, are a bit newer. Well, live streaming newer than, newer than uploading videos straight off. Have you considered maybe, or would you consider possibly doing like a traditional website that'd be almost like a portfolio? Do you think that would help at all? Yeah, definitely. That is on my list of projects that I need to get done. I have a prototype of like a RabbitWorks JavaScript kind of pro, uh, profile or kind of like a portfolio web website. And I kind of want to just incorporate the community into it a little bit. I just haven't really had uh, the time to start that project and I want to do it right. And I guess I have been kind of putting it off because I don't feel like I have the de- the time I can focus on doing that. But I definitely feel like that would really help. I have done a little bit of blogging when I first started learning Vue.js. I built an interface to interface with the Google Blogger application. Oh, yeah. Yep. Essentially, so I could write posts from my phone. And it was really cool. It worked really well. And I just found myself not being able to write blog posts on a consistent basis because I was doing video content and whatnot so i think i kind of favored that in the way of like interfacing with people as versus like being a passive blog in 
in my experience in the last year or so. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense with the, with the whole streaming medium too, that you would kind of shy away from, cause that's a list of like, a, that's just a lot of content doing streaming and then also writing. And then there's content in the stream, obviously, and stuff like that. So it kind of sounds like it'd be a bit hectic. Be a lot. I mean, it, at first it's fine, but then you realize what all it takes to keep this going on a consistent basis. And it just is like, okay, I got to dial it back in some areas to focus on things in other areas that I want to push forward. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, for this week, uh, my weekly pain points, actually, uh, I'm I'm not necessarily new. I wrote new to, uh, to business administration management, but it's been more so new to, I guess, almost full-time business administration management. So with, with Mike gone on vacation, um, I've just been doing a lot of juggling between calling people and like, you know, translating technical terms and technical projects to, you know, layman's terms. I've been dealing with a lot of people that are like, you know, interested in things like, hey, we're interested in this, what's it going to take? And been, you know, juggling different tasks all the way from something as simple as email forms and like some SMTP settings and, you know, real easy email stuff all the way through, whoa, we need like a full, you know, authentication system redo and like blah, blah, blah. We need security and the whole bit. So it's been a lot of just the administration of all that more so than the actual technical side. I think I've, I think I've put off, I have to just make an interface for a website that would normally take me less than a week. And it's been something like five weeks or four weeks or something like that since I've even done it, since I've even looked at it. So it's just, it's just a matter of being overwhelmed with stuff like that, but I'm actually getting a lot of good experience in this, in this regard. So it's a bit refreshing. Um, I think we'll, so I think what we'll do is we'll move on to the actual episode itself now. Uh, this is a UX episode, hence the uh, hence the title UX Mania. Uh, so we're gonna go. Th- I'm just gonna quickly uh, browse through the segments like we always do, and then um, what I'll do is I will read through this. I made some pretty extensive show notes because I've been kind of thinking about these UX terms that I've UX terms or UX situations uh, that I like to call them. I've been kind of thinking about these for the past couple of weeks, and I've been jotting them down on my phone as I think them through. So I'm just gonna read. I have quite lengthy show notes. Like I said, I'm going to read through them and then like Sean, feel free to interrupt me whenever or, and, or we can just have a discussion at the end of uh, my big rants. But the first one here is, uh, are we getting lazier? So that's going to be about, you know, home automation, smartphones and smart homes more specifically. Uh, the next one is going to be uh, wearables and utilitarian uh, UX. So uh, what that means is, you know, the smartwatch is definitely like an accessory to the smartphone. It's not really standalone in most cases. And what it means to be just an accessory and what it means to deliver or have lack thereof utilitarian UX. And I'll get into that. And then our web news, um, long title on this one, too. Uh, So it's uh, networking slash social media slash attending events versus long term focus oriented work. And I'm sure that a lot of programmers out there are probably thinking like, oh, yeah, we have that problem. But we'll get into that right when we get to the web news. So I'm going to jump right into this first segment. Um, Are we getting lazier? So I'll just start reading here. So smart homes, uh, smartphone, smart homes and automation uh, have been growing in popularity over the past, you know, give or take five years. Uh, Smartphones have basically invaded everybody's pockets at this point. um, And slowly but surely, uh, smart home tech in one form or another are also making their way into more and more households. Um, when starting out, a pretty standard setup, let's say, for a smart home and sometimes even sold as a beginner pack is to get a smart speaker, so something like an Alexa unit, a, a Google Assistant or something else, and then uh, get a smart switch 
to control a lamp being turned off and on that those are often sold together and one of the simplest implementations of a smart home and typically when this type of conversation comes up so if you say hey i you know recently installed these smart switches so my lamps turn off and on with my voice i'll often hear the phrase you know we're getting lazier aren't we and this is the phrase and the sort of mindset that i want to tackle in this segment you know are we actually getting lazier and and one of the things i want i want to do is kind of take it back so if you look back way before any of this smart home stuff was mainstream, there were massive universal remote controls that some homeowners had to control things like their entertainment system, of course, but also their security system, their garage doors, their thermostats, etc. And this was a pretty setup or pretty uh, like niche setup, and it was also rather expensive for the time. However, it did exist. And it was popular enough to have, you know, quite a few companies making remotes and other compatible gadgets to work with those remotes. Overall, this type of setup was always related to the financial quote-unquote upper class that had money to spend on such a system where the rest of us would just be getting up and actually flipping on and off our individual light switches, or we'd have to run out to the garage and click the button or maybe use like a little tiny remote that it came with, etc. Those type of things. And even though these types of smart homes back then were very niche, the conversation was rarely, at least in my experience, around, you know, people using them being lazy. I never really heard that. It was always looked at as like a cool gadget or something from the Jetsons I'd hear a lot or something from the future, things like that. And once smart homes became more accessible, like they are becoming today in terms of setup and price, the laziness conversation just seemed to come in full swing. Like, you know, here's a question that I've heard several times. Like, why can't you just get up and flip the light switch? Now, this laziness conversation... Oh, go ahead, Sean. When I was thinking about this whole laziness concept between why can't you just... Especially with this last question that you you just brought up, why can't you just get up and flip the light switch? It's not a matter of that I'm too lazy to. It's that I might be doing something at the moment that I don't want to be interrupted in to go up, walk across the room, flip a switch, come walk across the room, sit back down. If we look back at the very first inklings of this stuff really is like your remote car start why was that even invented it's because people don't want to have to go out in the dead of winter to start their car and come back in and that's like a very it's just a convenience factor i think it's like it's the way you implement it in my opinion a hundred percent it's it's the way it's implemented and it's and and we'll actually get into that too it's it has a lot to do with something being Something being obviously UX oriented, so something like nobody likes to go out and, you know, start their cold car. So like that really, you know, some people might still think it's a luxury feature and it is, but it it isn't something that people would say, don't be lazy and go out there. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, like, of course, like I don't want to go out in my cold car either. However, with, um, with something like a smart home where you're just flipping on a switch, it's like no one really, it's, it's so, it's so normal for you to just kind of get up and flip a switch that no one ever has like a bad experience with that whereas everybody or mostly everybody has a bad experience with going out in in the dead of winter in the morning to start a cold car so it's kind of one of those things as well and one of the i guess i guess we'll kind of move on to the next point here with that is that so the laziness conversation seems to hit a lot of industries uh, that evolve over time so a small uh, but easy example would be uh, in the gaming business where physical media, meaning discs with games on them, were and still are being slowly pushed out by digital games, this would always have somebody asking, are you seriously too lazy to get up and put in a disc? And, it, I mean, it's not about laziness, it's about convenience. And and 
so this this I, this is kind of how I want to answer this question is so are we getting lazier? And here's here's my opinion or my answer to the question, and it's a bit of a lengthy one here. So humans want to maximize their day. Okay, it's generally better to get things done faster and more efficiently than to prolong tasks for no good reason. And this is especially true with tasks that don't give that don't really give us a purpose or have a desired output. For example. Building a table with your own two hands can take you a long time, but you'll get a nice table at the end of it that you built yourself so you can take pride in it and you learn how to build a table. So you learn some skills there. How, but how many times have you, you know, gone to shoot, to uh, shut down a computer? How many times have you turned off the lights? How many times have you had to check if the door was locked? What does actually partaking in those tasks give you? Sure. It might give you some security uh, or peace of mind or some energy savings. However, it gives you no skills. No major output at the end of the day, and by having all those things done at the click of a button or automatically by your smart home, you're not missing out on anything. The point here is that by performing these menial tasks, they might be required, but the actions you take to do them offer you no value. You're not enjoying your trip over to the light switch. You're only interested in the output that the light turned off. And meanwhile, building your own table gives you skills, so you want to partake in it. It gives you skills... It gives you pride in your work. You'll probably value your furniture more because now, now you you know you built that. And then maybe if you start building more items, you might value your home more. It feels more like a home. It feels more cozy. I built this, that type of thing. And by kicking menial tasks out of our lives, we're saving time and we're gaining the benefits of those tasks still being done. Things like security, so locking the door, being green, that's turning off the lights, keeping our mind free of little personal reminders like things that we've all thought of, like, did I forget to lock the door? Are the lights downstairs off? Etc. Even if it's just a few seconds, a few minutes, whatever, saved each day, it's still time that we now have for more important things like family time, for sleeping, whatever it is you want to partake in, something that you actually want to participate in. Have you ever heard of anyone actually being excited to turn off a light? No, but there's people that love woodworking and they want to go build that table. There's people that love cars and they want to go restore them. There are people that love coding and they want to code. That's it. And here, here's, a, here's a question that brings it into an older industry. You know, are farmers lazy for not working their fields by hand anymore? Are commuters lazy for not grabbing a horse and riding to their workplace? Of course not. So just because it's new, like smart homes are or at least ex new in the accessible field, so everybody, for the most part, can access them, you're not lazy for having them. It, we're just becoming more into more intuitive, and we're, we're valuing our time more. Like, it's exactly why the remote control for the TV was created, because it's a matter of convenience. It's not the fact that, you know, I can't go over there and flip the dial on my TV. It's just that I don't want to have to do that if I have a way to do it manually from where I'm at. And... I think the way the world is changing in sorry, <clears throat> gotta clear my throat. <laughs> I think I think the world of the world is changing and convenience and automation making the mundane tasks that we waste time on doing to try and amplify you know time aspects of our lives that we actually want to focus on is kind of the way of the way of the world going forward. It's just like if we have if we had a smartphone that a smartphone app that we could just set a timer every night to lock the door automatically and unlock the door, you know, 
five minutes before we're supposed to leave for work in the morning, then that's, that's something you don't even have to worry about anymore. And it would lock after you left or something like that, you know, automatically that would be awesome. That's convenience. That's something that you don't have to worry about anymore. It's just like, you can check to see if this, you left the oven on at home, just little things like that, that help to improve our quality of life by reducing the tiny little packets of space that get taken up in our mind with all these things that we have to keep track of that don't have, like you said, any value to them whatsoever, other than the fact that they need to be done. 100%, 100%. And and that, that comes down to the conversation you and I were having, uh, I think it was last week, Sean, where we had that conversation about, like, I started using my calendar like crazy about a month ago, and I can't believe, and this might sound like corny or cheesy, but I can't believe how much more free my mind is before I would, you know, I was going to hang out with this person. I was going to do this for work. I was going to do this on that. And I'd have to remember all the days, what those things were, you know, who was going to be there, what time they were at. And I would have to try to remember all that. Then you're dealing with double bookings and everything just by using the calendar. Like I hated using it for the first, I'd say week or so. I hated using it. It was like, man, I'm adding, you know, admin time to myself. I'm sitting here filling out the form of what, what event, what time, what this, what that. But it's so freeing to, like, after the first week, after you get used to, you know, punching in the the events, you just realize that you don't need to remember what what time things are at and what you're doing. And those, you know, what you did at what time is useless once you've done them. Like, I, it doesn't matter that I went to dinner on Monday to me now. So I might as well have a computer or in this case have a calendar or you could write it down on paper. You might as well have an agenda, tell you what to do when. And you can check that at any time. You don't have to remember any of it. And then you could you could burn that page after that day is gone, and it doesn't matter. So why are you filling up your brain with this useless crap? Let technology do it. Who cares? It's going to be more reliable than you anyway. Exactly. Yeah, set it and forget it. That way you can focus on more important tasks like figuring out that bug on line 32 of index.js. Yeah, stuff like that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say, Sean, that with your with your own personal, I don't know, UX, would you say that, or UX opinion, I guess, is, would you say that, like, we're, like, what's your answer to the question? Like, are, do you think that we're getting lazier? I think it's kind of a tricky question for me to answer. I think some people are getting lazier, but I think other people are using it for the potential that it's meant to be. And right. I think that just comes into terms with the the way that humanity is going right now, but we don't have to get into that. But I just think, I think there's a mixed balance between it. I think people, there's people that use it to its full potential and use it to be more productive. And then there's other people that can, that, yeah, just use it because they might be too lazy to go and lock the door, you know, but it's not a cut and dry black and white kind of thing. I guess just like every piece of technology, people are going to use it in every way possible they can think of. Yeah, like honestly, that's it. It's one of those things where I think a really a really common piece of smart home tech, actually, to to bring another example into it, is actually the the Ring doorbell. And I never hear anyone say, or at least again in my experience, I've never heard anyone say, "Well, you're just too lazy to go check who's at the door," because they realize that everyone's had the problem of maybe you maybe you're used to you know salesmen coming to your door, and maybe that's most of the people that come to your door. And so you're, you know, you're not expecting any guests, the doorbell rings and you're like, well, is it the courier or is it, you know, some dude trying to sell me something? And if it's some dude trying to sell me something, I don't want to deal with it. 
And that's a waste of time to go to the door, listen to the first couple of seconds because you don't want to be rude and then be like, no, sorry, I'm not interested. And then close the door and deal with it. Because as you know, as a programmer, breaking that breaking that concentration is very difficult. You know, it's difficult to get back to the concentration, but it's even more difficult to get back to the concentration if you get up from the desk, go to the door, have a brief conversation, come back. It's going to be harder than to just look and be like, nah, I don't care. I'm not answering the door and just keep just keep coding away or just keep working away. It's one of those it, – it, and I never hear anyone complain about that. And so I think eventually the negative stigma – and it's not like super negative or anything. It's not like there's protests about this, about door about door uh, or uh, light switches, like automatic light switches. But it is a conversation of laziness, and I really think that that's misplaced. Meanwhile – the same, these same people that think it's lazy to have automatic lights are using ring doorbells. Like it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. And with the, especially with the people coming to your door to try and like sell you something, the, 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 the main drawback from actually going to check physically is that you look out the window or look kind of like peek and see who it is. They'll see you and then they know you're there. So they won't go away. There's that too. You have yeah. To confront them at that point. And it's just like, it would, I could definitely see something like the ring doorbell would be super helpful because even with like, uh, I think uh, Wes Boss from the Syntax podcast was talking about how he has some uh, one of those ring doorbells because he works up in the second story or third story of his house in the attic or whatever and as a studio and he gets packages at his back door, you know, down on the first floor. So he doesn't want to have to go all the way down three flights of stairs if something that isn't needing his attention is down there knocking at the door. It's yeah, it's literally, it's literally a way to like, people have been talking about sanitizing their smartphones recently and getting rid of unwanted notifications. And some people are even discussing, and we'll actually touch on this later. Some people are even talking about going back to flip phones because it's just talk and text. It's not all these notifications left, right and center. The ring doorbell is basically just a way to, you know, kill that notification. And, Realistically speaking, though there, we have internal, like brain-generated notifications for things like, "Did I forget to lock the door?" Now it's just a matter of flipping, like you know, turning your phone on, and either it's on an automated schedule, so you don't need to worry about it, or if turning your phone on, go to the app. Oh, it is on. Turn it off or whatever. You know, though it, it's just it's just clearing the noise, I would say, and it's making us more efficient without us having to really work harder. You're actually working less. It's not a matter of I'm going to put on all this extra work. You know, you're not because I, I remember I remember years ago in the 90s, one of the one of the I don't know if it was a fad, but it was a fad in our family was that you could. God, this is old. You could get uh, a like a timer so you could, you could it would be like a plug. So you plug this big device into your plug and you have two pins. And in the center, there's like this circular wheel that looks like a clock. And you would put the first pin in saying this is when I want it to turn on. And I want it to be on for six hours and then turn off. And we would, yeah, for Christmas lights. And so, or, or lamps. And you would have to do that like per light or per whatever you wanted plugged in. But it was like a big device. And like you're, you're literally, you're mechanically like removing a pin and putting a pin somewhere else. Like it's, it was, and you can't check, like you can't check it after. Like you could check the little thing, but it's not like if I'm out of the room, I can't tell if the lights are actually off. So it's like, this is just an evolution. And no one said you were lazy doing that. So this is just an evolution of the times. I think smartphones in particular probably have some sort of weird connotation of like a negativity. W- one of my friends actually recently said, and this is, this, this is interesting to me, is that he said that people on like a train, if you're entering like a public place, so let's say a train, if someone's on the train with a newspaper, you don't think anything of it. 
but he said he'll get dirty looks from like the previous generation when he's on his phone and he's like you don't know what i'm doing he's like i could be doing my finances i could be being the most productive person ever i could be coding he's like i could be i could be reading the news like that other guy he's like what i could be talking to like you know my kid he's like what like what am i doing here he's like no one else is like why why does having something convenient have this like such a negative effect and it's this weird ux situation that we have as humans i don't i don't really get it years ago they were complaining about magazines in the 70s they were complaining about magazines they thought magazines were going to ruin the family because people were reading magazines and not and not like using you know not talking to each other in the room it's like dude you're reading a magazine like everyone calm down civilization isn't going to collapse tomorrow right i mean that's your answer right there i think that's just the signs of like everything changing and progressing forward there's always going to be the ones that are more of uh more averse or more adversive to the change or the changes being made and stuff just in the world. And then there's going to be the ones that fully embrace it. And it's interesting that you say that because when I had a flip phone and this was back years ago now, and I was like, okay, I can't wait to get a smartphone because I can be so much more productive. I'll have everything in my hand. I can manage all my social media, blah, 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 blah. So I was trying to do music at this time pretty big. And I focused on that a lot. And as soon as I got a smartphone, it didn't like magically flip a switch and make things easier. Like it was, if anything, it was more confusing because like it wasn't exactly easy to like cycle between all these apps constantly and try and keep track of stuff and have to make those entries in, in every possible app I had versus just like keeping it in my head and sitting down at the computer and doing it with multiple tabs and stuff like that. You're you're hundred percent right. It's it's everything has everything has like its in terms of a UX, it has its it has its pro and its con. And I think that smartphones only invaded the pocket so much just because they're like and this is actually a perfect segue into the next segment, so I'll kinda use it like that. They're sort of like the perfect portable solution between, say, like a flip phone. So you have like the usefulness of a flip phone's communication, but you have computing power that's approaching a laptop, but you don't have the the cumber the cumbersome laptop with you you don't have to like crack it open and like use it it's just right there at all times um and that actually like i said leads perfectly into the next segment which is wearables and utilitarian um ux so the very first point i was going to make was actually that flip phone versus laptop combination so we'll move to the next one here which is so while still while like both of them so flip phones and laptops still have their their uses so flip phones are really good for unplugging from all the apps and all the craziness and all the notifications and laptops are you know used for very serious you know computing tasks or big workloads or you know spreadsheets or whatever you know bigger workhorse type things the smartphone um, is a critical device that is in almost every ars- everyone's arsenal of electronics it's it's sort of that middleman and it's really approaching the the speeds of some laptops so the next logical step then, once the smartphone was sort of solidified in everyone's everyday carry, was for companies to enhance or extend the smartphone's capability. And this is specifically actually feeding off of the the wants and the needs of the smartphone users to enhance their UX with things like quick and easy notifications, quick actions, so say like checking in at a location on social media, uh, and media controls, of course, play, pause, whatever battery savings so you know not waking up the phone for easy tasks just using your watch and then your phone screen stays off which is like the biggest battery drain in most cases and and other small tasks as well now 
because smartwatches um, are an accessory, their sales will inevitably be lower than the smartphone because they're not vital. Therefore, they really do live and die by their usefulness and their accessibility. Uh, things that things like price are huge factors, but possibly not as big as things like how useful are they. So a smartwatch's UX in the health field, for example, is a huge benefit because they read biometric data like heart rate, steps, um, exercise type. So are you running? Are you walking? Um, exercise duration, you know, how long was your run, things like sleep tracking and more. And all these are right from your wrist. A lot of it gets tracked automatically. You don't need to engage it. And it's really great. And this is actually probably the reason why smartwatches and more specifically Fitbit have been able to survive despite their shortcomings in their initial vision and their initial vision being that ultimate accessory to the smartphone. So smartwatches are notoriously bad at delivering an experience to the wrist that doesn't result in someone pulling out their phone. And this is the biggest hole in their initial vision. So if you have a big email come in, even just a lot of text, you got a big email come in, you got to take out your phone. You're not in an environment where you can talk to the watch. Well, you're either typing on a very small screen awkwardly, or you just got to pull out your phone. And then there's mixed capabilities too. So, you know, making often those mixed capabilities force you to take out your phone in some instances. So for example, not all smartwatches can conduct phone calls from your wrist. And so you have to pull out your phone for that. And all of this is depending on hardware. Some of them don't have heartbeat monitors. Some of them have, you know, no payment, like so no NFC. Some of them don't have that. So then you have to pull out your phone for that. Like it's these, it's these little things that add up to a lot when it comes to smartphone usefulness. Now, overall, my point is, and this is mostly due to, you know, Wear OS, because that's where my experience lies. I've never used a an Apple Watch um, for on the long term. So if I'm wrong in any of these points, please let me know. But the smartwatch lives and dies by its UX. And if it's not providing a worthwhile experience as an accessory, then it provides just straight up very little in value. So just like the last segment suggested, smartwatches should enhance those tasks that you do instantly with your eyes closed if you could. Make them faster than doing them on your smartphone. So for example, typing out a quick message, like I don't want to think or remember about what my next response is going to be. It's just I'm, I'm communicating with somebody. I just need to fire out a quick message. Things like sending a location to someone that's looking for you. Like, hey, you know, where are you at? Are you almost here? You, can shoot, you should be able to shoot them your location really quick. Calling for a ride, let's say on Uber or something like that, which you can do on, on Wear OS. Stuff like that. It, it, if it adds any sort of hindrance, like... If it adds any sort of hindrance like freezing or ha or it has an awkward interface, so like some of those apps you or some of those functionalities you can do, but the the interface is awkward, its value just goes straight out the window, and you're just gonna you're just gonna get annoyed and just take out your phone because it's not a huge problem. And so right now, Wear OS is quite glitchy, and this is my experience. It's quite glitchy. The UI isn't the easiest to use sometimes. The speed and performance is weak. Now there are new CPUs coming out, or maybe they're already out, but they're they're coming. But right now, I have the Gen 4 Fossil smartwatch, the big one, and its speed and performance is weak sometimes. Sometimes it's super snappy. Other times you're like, oh, I'm stuck between notifications, and it's glitching and freaking out, and it won't open the task. Sometimes the everything comes in on one line, so it's like all the text is on one line, and it's like all it's going crazy. Or the 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 um, Google Assistant will just activate for no reason, and it keeps activating and activating and activating, and it won't stop. So you have to just like force restart the watch. Like this is not good. Also, the battery is weak, so sometimes I can't even get through a, a single day, and that prevents me from even trying to use sleep tracking. And maybe if even if it was, let's say the battery was rated for 24 hours, 
you could say, well, you can sleep track, but now the charging on some watches takes so long, including mine, this prevents me from, you know, doing my sleep tracking and then quickly charging the watch while I'm in the shower in the morning getting ready for work or whatever. It, it, it prevents me from doing that. So this kind of, I'm going to ask you some questions here, Sean, and then we'll kind of like open it up. It's basically almost like a web news segment, if you will. So I'll kind of just list off these questions here. So what would you look for in a smartwatch? Um, what UX features uh, would you enhance or add? Uh, and finally, do you think that smartwatches need to change form factor to reach their original goal of being the ultimate accessory for a smartphone? Do, so do you think maybe a bigger display or do you think that we need to stay away from the traditional watch look? Like, what do you, what do you think gonna get for those questions? You know, this is an interesting topic because I haven't really del- delved into wearable OS or utilitarian UX kind of devices other than my smartphone. But I see a lot of people wearing smartwatches and stuff, so I have to feel like they have some use. If anything, I guess my ideal would be about, I mean, I don't know, the size of a watch, but then it would be able to basically give me the time, be able to show me what kind of notifications are coming in, and if I have a call. And obviously, near, uh, I think near-field communication would be really cool for pending or for paying, making payments and whatnot, so... That would be cool, but I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure because I feel like it's, they're trying to drop a product. They're trying to push out a product right now that just doesn't have the technology behind it to make it feasible. I mean, you listed off a number of reasons and issues that you were experiencing just on yours yourself. Have you ever used any of the Apple OS stuff? How does that work with their, do you know how that works? I do know, like, and this is just from mostly reviews. I've only ever, like, seen, or, like, I think I've, like, used Wear OS, or uh, I think it's called Watch OS. That's the one on the Apple Watch is what I'm referring to. And I've only used it very briefly, um, but I do know that its experience is better. I know that it's more snappy. I know that it it's it has a square display uh, rather than most most Wear OS, which have typically a round display. So it has that UX going for it. It's just a little bit easier, I hear. But its app launcher is really terrible, for example. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, I hear that, like, sometimes, like, for example, the Gmail app, and I don't know how it works on Android because I use the Outlook app, but on if you use the Gmail app on your phone, um, on, a, on an iPhone, and then you have an Apple Watch, you can't, like, expand the email too much. So if you have a lot of text, it just gets cut off and you just have to pull your phone out. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think everything that would be inside of the Apple ecosystem would probably work pretty well between their smartphone and their you know, watch OS because it's inside of that Apple ecosystem. Gmail not necessarily inside of that ecosystem, so probably is running up to issues there. And I think where more of the unsta- instability comes from is just the whole Android platform and how fragmented it is and just stuff doesn't work properly together because of the minor nuances in the base code of the operating system. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, it's a really good point. We still got, I mean, hell we still have random battery drain on Android phones. Exactly. And, and I don't know if you mentioned this when you were going through it, but you were mentioning that the new Wear OS stuff is going to be coming out with uh, new CPUs in them. So hopefully that will really help to push that performance up to a point where it's actually feasible to use and it's not falling over 
because the processor is being overloaded. I mean, you got to think that the processor is pretty small and pretty limited in its capabilities right now, but AMD and Intel and have been working on their new seven nanometer architecture stuff. So I would not be surprised to see some of that technology going into the Wear OS stuff coming up soon, because that's going to make it go a heck of a lot faster uh, in a lot less space, uh, physical space on a PCB or a printed circuit board. That's a really good point because, you know, it, it's one thing for it to be glitching out. So I like if, if you're not like that versed in computers, some people or some of the listeners out there wouldn't realize that like if you have a, a CPU, for example, that's being, you know, running 100 percent a lot, you won't just get like bad performance. Like that is one of the things, obviously, 100 percent you'll get bad performance, but it'll actually start freaking out. It'll start it'll start glitching out and do weird things like what I was saying, loading stuff all on one line, uh, not clearing notifications properly not loading not loading um anything but the google assistant like that is indicative of either glitchy software but it's very possible that it's the cpu just running at 100 percent constantly tasks being queued up like crazy and then it just starts to glitch out like you know you're just you're just beating the hell you're just essentially beating the hell out of something it's trying to like trying to take like an old sedan mudding like good luck <laughs> like it'll work but like good luck like you're gonna probably beat that car all the hell you're not gonna get very far <laughs> you're not gonna get very far it's literally it's basically that equivalent and so that's one thing now with that being said like if that is a if that is like one of the big if that's like a big uh problem like if that is that if it's not glitchy software and it's just the performance um or the lack thereof and that's why it's getting so glitchy i would say it's it's gonna work it's going to help quite a bit because some things that do work. So for example, I commended, I think it was Wear OS 2.0 for its use of um, replying. So if someone sends me a message, let's just say I get a text message, I can click on the notification, I can click reply, and then I have uh, a couple options. One of them's voice, one of them is uh, one of them is a keyboard. There's also like some quick responses in there as well. And uh, there's another one in there too. Let me just actually check. Yeah, so I got some quick responses at the bottom. I can click reply, and then sometimes it varies per app, but I can do a voice response, I can do an emoji, um, or I can do a uh, like a full keyboard on, on this little tiny screen, actually. And I commend them for that, but I don't commend them for, like, I tap on this notification, I click on reply, and now I got to click on the microphone, which is already a couple of actions, but then the microphone takes forever to activate. Or sometimes it takes forever for like the screen that pulls up the three options to come up or like clicking. And, and what people don't realize from a UX perspective is, yeah, you know, putting your hand into your pocket, pulling out your cell phone, you know, unlocking it is longer than that delay. But it's for the, it. But you get how do I explain this? You get it's a better UX to be doing something than to not be doing something. It's the same reason why people will avoid a highway because let's say a highway is going to be 30 minutes, but it's traffic. So you're just sitting in traffic and slowly moving forward. But the whole trip is going to be 30 minutes. A lot of people are going to take the 45-minute country route because you're moving the whole time. You're doing something. You're not sitting there bored waiting for your watch to respond to you. And you're just sitting there like watching it like screw up in front of you or be slow in front of you. You're you know, grabbing your phone, clicking the, you know, using the fingerprint sensor or whatever it is, you're actually going through the motions and it feels faster. It just feels faster. It feels better. It's a better UX to be doing something. Exactly. I do think I can relate a lot with that. Uh, just going between my computer and my phone. Like there's a lot of tasks that I'm just like, I could very well accomplish using my phone to do so, but I'm going to have a heck of a time trying to do it 
just because of the switching between all the tabs and all that stuff. When I could just go home and get a task that would take me 15 minutes to do on my phone done in two minutes on the computer. And I think a lot of that can be transferred verbatim between wearable OS and a smartphone because it's like, at what point does it take more effort to get the task done versus pulling out a different device and doing the same task essentially in a different way. Yeah. Well, like, well, I mean like fair enough, like, you know, it, it, it's one of those, it's one of those things where it is a bit of a balancing act, right? If it was, if answering a message was 45 steps on your smartphone, uh, that would be like, that would be way different than, you know, like maybe the five steps or whatever it is to pull it out, unlock it, et cetera, et cetera, and answer an email or answer, answer that message. So like, certainly like somebody wouldn't take a four hour country route, but like that 45 minutes versus 30 minutes of sitting in traffic, people are going to go, they're going to be slightly more inconvenienced for a better UX. It's the same way. It's what's that? Oh, I was just going to say they have a better view for the drive. They have a better view. They're not sitting there bored. They're probably like just chatting away. You're not, you're not sitting in like a traffic jam, for example. I know we're getting out of the, out of the wheelhouse of you, of wearable UX, but a traffic jam, for example, is a stressful place. Like you can almost feel the stress in the air. It's like people are commuting. People are trying to get home, whatever people are pissed off just to be, to be blunt. And they're just sitting in traffic and you don't, they don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. You should be moving. You're not moving. And it's just awkward. It's the same reason why some apps will do better on the app store or on the play store or whatever. If they have less features, but those features are flushed out than the apps that do everything. But you know, it's glitchy. It has trouble syncing. It has trouble doing this. It has trouble doing that or has like excessive ads. People will have less features and have a good experience with them rather than have a bunch of more features and have very little experience or a very, or have a bunch more features, but like a bad experience with each of them. People are after the better UX and it's, it's definitely a balancing act in that way. I think that, I think that with, with Wear OS and this is the, this is going to be controversial, I think. So a lot of people will say that I'll just kind of do a slight backstory. So a lot of people will say that the wearables was just another revenue stream for these companies. And of course it is, you know, as everything is, cause they sell them. They're not like they're giving them away, but they're saying that it's another revenue stream because phones are starting to last longer than two years. People are upgrading on a two year cycle, three year cycle. Now it's more like maybe three year, four year, something like that. Cause people are just like phones have kind of plateaued. It's kind of like how computers plateaued. Like every year it used to be like, holy crap, the next year's computer is going to be amazing. Now it's just sort of like, I have like a seven year old computer beside me and I can still, you know, play games on here. And this thing's like old. And like, that was never a thing years ago. It was like, no games require the latest thing. Like, you know, get used to it. Um, I, I would say that with wearables, if they, they they need to enhance them so that I want to, not necessarily I will, I want to upgrade it every two years. And I would say right now, that's not even on the table. I'm not even looking at a new smartwatch, and mine's not even quite a year old yet, I understand. But with a smartphone, I upgraded my smartphone because I wanted better cameras, and I wanted a bigger screen, and I wanted the stylus because I went from an, uh, an S8 Plus to to a, um, to a note 10 plus, like I want the big screen. I want the, a lot of power. I want the size of the storage on board and I want the pen. What am I going to get with a new smartwatch? Well, maybe you can entice me because you might put the new CPU in there, but if you don't put the new CPU in there, I don't like, I literally just don't care. Like I'm not trying to sound entitled, but there's nothing that you're adding to the UX. That's enough for me to say, Hey, I want that. 
hey, that's cool. I want that. I think that we need wearables to have that or else they might die off on the Android side. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think that the uh, wearable OS is more so a luxury than a necessity because of the fact that it, like we kind of mentioned before, it kind of adds to the experience of a smartphone because you have a miniature version of it on your wrist that can kind of keep you up to date without actually having to look at your phone. But I also think that it is not really something that's, it's not very practical in a sense that it's required to get things done on a daily basis. It that that's exactly that's exactly it. Is unless you're taking your like if you were, if you're a runner and you need to know your heart rate, you know you ain't gonna be taking a. I mean, I guess my SA Plus had a heart rate sensor. My Note Ten Plus doesn't, but my watch does, and it just makes more sense on a watch. It's like if you're a runner and you want your heart rate and you want your steps and your distance and you want uh, Google Fit to track where you were and how far the run was and like how long it was and like all this meta then a wearable is absolutely needed but like i'm not a fitness guy i don't care I, it's interesting like i've gone on some long walks and been like jesus like how long was that it's interesting so i get it i get why the runner every day would be like man can i take it a, you know let's push it a little further i went 4k let's go to the park like that's a little further down the road i'll go to the park and run back that type of thing that's where it becomes vital i think that's why probably google purchased fitbit that's why Fitbit is still around, and that's why it was interesting for to Google. But I agree with you is that it doesn't add anything. It's 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 like slightly more vital to me than like a case on my phone, if that makes sense. It's like realistically speaking, if I forgot my watch, actually the prime example, I went to Cuba, forgot my watch charger, experience was not hindered. I turned my watch off, put it in the safe, didn't care. If I forgot my phone charger, we're in trouble. I got to find a phone charger. I got to have, I got to, like, I'm a shutterbug. I have to take pictures. And you know what I mean? It's not, it's not vital enough, but it should be in some way. It has to be in order to, to maintain its life. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's got to have its own merit to make it worthwhile to be on my radar, at least. If it did something that I wasn't able to do on my phone, and it was like something that was incredibly important to me that I would consider getting one, but that just hasn't been the case. And I have everything. I have my phone in my hand constantly all the time anyway. So it's not like I need an additional screen on my phone on my wrist on top of that. Now, would you say, would you say now I want to move on from this topic because I know we're hitting the same points a few times here, but I, I do want to mention form factor. So right now watches, even the Apple watch more or less are watches, if you will, smartwatch. Um, I know the Apple watch is, you know, more square than it is round and rounds a traditional, you know, watch thing, watch shape. That's fine. But in terms of form factor, do you think that in a different form factor that a wearable, so something similar to a watch, smartwatch could take over the phone? Or do you think that there's some sort of form factor change at, at the very least that would make you buy one? Yeah, so to be honest, I think that the Apple design is more appealing to me being so that it's square uh, versus like a round or a circular kind of display because when you go to a circle, you're cutting off like what, at least 30% of your screen real estate or image real estate when you're coming to graphic design and all that stuff, just like these square images versus round images for avatars and stuff like that. Like you cut off a whole lot of real estate when you go to a circle. And I feel like having that square and, an ex and that extra bit of screen space might help. But I haven't used any of them 
personally to be able to see if they account for that on like a round display to make the UX or the UI rather um, work more so in a round display versus I uh, like an iPhone or an Apple square kind of display for their iPhone or watch OS. So I think that would be more beneficial to have square or even like maybe like a rectangle or something like that, to be honest, just something that I could get a little bit more uh, horizontal screen real estate. So we can see full paragraphs of text and make it realistic. What would you say to something then like a foldable display? Possibly, but then again, like, I mean, then you got to think about how far up off of your wrist is it coming and then that, that's very true. That yeah. Stuff. That's <laughs> have this big stack on top of your, <laughs> top of your wrist. Well, before when, before watch OS was even, the, I mean, I don't know if before, but I know that a lot of people were geeked out on the, uh, that, that fad thing that was like essentially a Fitbit, but it, it displayed like a phone display on your wrist like a video oh like the little projector thing yeah, exactly and i know that that was like future tech back before where os really blew up and obviously that's not even that could never work with the state of uh technology that we have these days but i think people were kind of expecting a full-on mobile phone experience on a in a small device like a watch and they haven't gotten that and they can't produce that the developers and manufacturers can't produce that. So I think it's kind of at a, like I said before, a rock and a hard place. We'll have to see what the next iteration of it brings. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think I'll use that uh, to move on to the, the web news here, just so we don't beat wearables to death. So this is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially today will um, kind of encounter. Uh, so the title of this web news is, Networking slash social media slash attending events versus long-term focus-oriented work. So I'll read through this and I'll ask some questions and we can kind of go through it here. So online uh, businesses suffer from the need to be known, otherwise known as exposure, right? And the need for a good deliverable or a good product. Now, oftentimes these important yet generally conflicting needs are overwhelming for smaller businesses due to their required time dedication, so, for example, should you go to that conference to network, maybe drum up a little business, or should you fix some glaring bugs in your software? It's so easy to get caught up in the buzz of networking, doing something like going to a popular conference, you know, making a bunch of social media posts while you're there about what you know what you were doing, what did you have for lunch, who you met, etc. Or even just spending all your time. You know, let's say you don't go to the conference and you just spend all your time making content for social media. It's one of those things where people don't realize that co that content on social media, whereas a lot of it's easy, some it's, sometimes it's not. If you're a person that just, let's say, just works from home, how hard is it right now? Like, like make a TikTok right now. If you're listening to this and you're in your home office, make a TikTok right now. It's not easy. You're just like, you. you at least in my case, you look around and you're like, this isn't a very like attractive setting. Like I didn't set this up for presentation and I don't really have any ideas on how to like what I should do. Should I write a script? Oh, I guess I better watch some TikToks. And like now, now you have a content plan going. Like you're thinking about what you want to post. You have to like look up people that are similar to you. It's like a big undertaking. Like you're making content for these things and all this time working on exposure. Okay. can really hurt your product. Even if your product isn't buggy, like I mentioned above, there's always something 
there's always going to be some sort of lack of polish here because you didn't put the time in. It takes a lot of time and care to ensure that things like the UI and the UX is great, that the functionality is super sound, so it never crashes, never lags, whatever, and that you're updating on par with your competitors. So maybe you have an app and you're adding new features in time with your competitors, so at the very least you're not falling behind. And with that being said, it's hard to dedicate a bunch of time to features that no one is going to see due to lack of exposure. So could you imagine being like, ah, I'm not going to do the social media thing. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and work on my app. And you work on your app for 100 hours. And then you're like, well, no one looks at this. So like, why am I polishing this? And then you get, it, it, it's, it's the same side effect of if you undercharge your clients and then you're just not motivated to help them. But if you're charging them a fair rate, you're okay with helping them a little extra because you're like, well, you know, they paid me a grand or whatever. I'll, you know, I'll help them out this afternoon. No problem. And that, that type of thing. So what, so with that being said, I have a couple of questions that I'll go through here. Um, how much time uh, should be spent on product development? So something like UI, UX, uh, coding, user research, etc. Versus uh, how much should you be worrying about exposure? And then the next set of questions, and I'll and we, we'll go back through them. But like I said, I'll go over them. These are specific for Sean. So Sean, as an as a as an online entrepreneur, how do you balance marketing your streams? and tutorials versus making the lesson plans and scripts that you might need to write and some sub questions. What would you change about your current plan with your current resources? If there are any changes that you'd make, why would you make them? And last question here, I know this is a lot. If you had unlimited resources, what would the balance between the social media, et cetera, et cetera, versus long-term focus oriented work look like? And just a, a brief for, forward no footnote footnote as a brief footnote the reason why i am comparing the social media aspect versus the long-term focus oriented work is because in programming as we all probably know it's you can get your best work done when you're just sitting at your computer and just banging out those features and fixing up your ui ux and the whole bit so sean take it away with all those questions all right. So I guess we'll start with the first one. How much time should be spent on product development, uh, i.e. UX, UI, coding, user research, etc. versus how much should be how much time should I be worrying or we be worrying about exposure? And I guess so to kind of preface this whole thing, I've kind of moved away from social media as a creator as far as like, I mean, obviously I'm on YouTube as my main source of content, but I, I, when I first started out RabbitWorks, I, I was on Instagram, which I had a pretty decent following for. Um, I had a Facebook page and I had a Twitter as well. And I just found that I just wasn't able to give myself enough time to focus on those and it just kind of got set by the wayside the most I was ever really doing was posting to Instagram and that just ended up kind of being I don't want to sound negative but it was almost like a waste of time because it's Instagram in general was one of those like very black holey type social medias like there was it was really hard to get people to go to external places from social or from Instagram so that was one of the main struggles that I found with that. And I decided that due to some personal reasons on like how I feel about the companies running those apps and just the results that I had been getting over time using them, I decided that I was going to step away from trying to do that kind of stuff. And as far as like marketing, I guess you could say, and just focus on content 
being just cranking out live streams, focusing on projects and stuff like that and trying to like maximize on actual content versus like marketing on it. And I guess to, uh, to kind of answer one of those, the question about like the current plan that kind of coincides with this answer is like with my current resources right now, if I could change anything, I would probably start posting consistently onto the social media platforms and whatnot. But I just don't see like, uh, see myself doing that with the time that I have. If anything, I'll probably go back to Instagram at some point, but I also find that there's a lot of, toxicity in these platforms that I would rather just not even be a part of. So that was kind of also weighing in on my decision to kind of step away from the social media aspect of everything. But that being said, I think it's definitely important to balance it. I think that if you can, I think ideally what I would try and shoot for is probably like a two thirds, one third focusing on two thirds, focusing on the product that I'm bringing out, you know, actual code and lesson plans and all that good stuff uh, versus like, and then like one third of that time being spent marketing and networking and all that stuff. So I guess an example is that there's a, there's a number of meetups that go on. Uh, Cause one thing you were talking about before was like conferences and whatnot. I haven't been to any conferences myself, but I have been to a number of meetups uh, in the twin cities area that I've checked out. There's, you know, if there's a meetup for GraphQL, Node.js, Ruby on rails, JavaScript, ViewMN, which uh, that's the one I mainly go to react. There's, you know, there's a ton of meetups going on in all types of cities and you can spend, you know, seven days a month going to that, going to those meetups. You can spend 14, you know, 14 days a month going to them once every other day if you want. But really at what point, like if you're just spending all of your time networking and you're not spending that time honing your craft, you're really, you're kind of putting yourself in a position or I would be putting myself in a position where I would have to, I would have to walk instead of talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course it, it make it, it, sorry to interrupt, but like one, I guess one quick question I guess would be then because you're, because you would prefer to focus on the content. Would you say that just as, just as, just because like you have to title stuff and that type of thing, would you say that you're now, focusing more on SEO because you're not focusing on social media? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I mean, I do, I spend a lot of time trying to optimize my videos on YouTube as far as like tagging and uh, discovery and whatnot. Like I actually uh, quite recently, actually about two months ago, up until that point, I had been playing some, some uh, quiet music in the background, like lo-fi hip hop beats and stuff that I listen to when I'm coding. And, and I had that playing in the background and I always thought that added kind of something nice to it, but all of my videos were being demonetized. Yeah. Therefore, when you get demonetized on YouTube, you don't get recommended. And so I decided that I was going to stop playing the music, even though I really enjoyed having the music in the background. Some people didn't care for it, but you know, that teach their own, but I decided that I was going to stop doing that. And instantly my like subs went up from like three twelve to like 380 in the next two weeks over, you know, just because I was being able to 
or I was being more discoverable with my content and focusing on that, making one of those decisions to put something that's a personal preference aside in order to kind of fully maximize my exposure. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Like it, it's, it's, it's really, uh, I want to say, I want to say celebratory, but that's the wrong word. It's it's really encouraging. There's the word uh, to see when you when you you know identify a problem. So like you know you did the music thing and, and then you you kill it. It's really it's really great and 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 encouraging. I keep forgetting the word encouraging. It's really encouraging to see such a bump in stats when you do something when you do something right right away. Right. Sometimes it takes forever for that change to you know make any difference, and so you're not really even sure at the end of the day. Like was it. Was it that thing I changed that fixed it? So like that's really encouraging uh, in that regard. And I'd say that I'd say that like taking the music out was probably like it, it's one of those things that 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 sucks. And when you're making your own content, you know you want to make it yours, but you have to make it for the um for like well for the platform in this case so you get recommended, but also for the listener out there. And so like you you know the UX fix for that is you could be listening to music while live streaming not pumping that through the live stream and the people could be listening to music as well, right? Like it's the same thing. You could be pumping your playlist to an on-screen widget in Twitch or whatever. And then they could be listening along with you as long as they have a Spotify subscription. You know, it's not a big, it's not a big deal at that type of thing. Um, now what you were saying that you're more in a fan of a lot of the companies that run the social media stuff with, with unlimited resources, would you, would you return to all of them? So would you return to the Twitter, to Instagram? It's not like an old person, the Twitter. Would you return to Twitter? Would you return to Facebook? Would you return to Instagram? Where would you return to? You know, that's a good question. I guess uh, if I had unlimited resources and if this was like including financial resources, I would just probably, I would probably delegate that to somebody else just because I've I've just, me personally, I've just gone so far away from the whole retweet social media norm that it's just really hard for me to get back into it, even for a business perspective. So unlimited resource, I'd probably delegate that to somebody else, to be honest, just because it's somebody else's who somebody else who's it's their thing to do social media and, you know, they know how to play the game. And that's really what it comes down to. If I want to circle back to like the changing of, you know, figuring out a problem and finding a solution, making changes and then seeing the result with that. It's really about figuring out how to play the game in a lot of aspects and not just content creation, but in programming and in your career, figuring out how to play the game and to put yourself to, you know, maximize your potential and effectiveness essentially. Um, one thing I did want to talk about as I didn't think I answered was that, um, when I do work on my streams and when I first started out doing streaming it, uh, I was, it was completely raw on unedited stuff. Well, it's not edited cause it's live stream, but it was a uh, unpolished stuff. Essentially I was just live coding without a mic on just working on random stuff and for hours on end and had music playing in the background and slowly I've kind of shifted my, my perspective to, okay, oh, I'm just going to stream whenever I'm coding on stuff to now I have some user interaction and I want to explain to them what I'm doing, but I also don't want to just be working on some random project that they're completely lost in the scope and context of everything. 
So I decided that what I wanted to do instead of doing like these, you know, five to seven minute videos on, okay, we're now we're going to talk about variables and JavaScript and numbers and this and that, you know, just little snippet videos, which is fine. I feel like YouTube has a plethora of that. And what I wanted to bring to the table is, okay, we're going to build these projects. We're going to build these applications from start to finish. We're going to see how it goes. I want to bring the errors and the mistakes and the real life coding to people and show them how I process through things versus showing them, okay, we're going to build this to do app. And I edited out all the errors and all the coding. And I have like three prototypes that I've done beforehand. And so everything works perfectly, but that's not the way it works in the real world. That's not the way it works in real coding. You're going to run into bugs. You're going to run into issues. It's inevitable. That's just the way it goes. Right. I want to be able to show that process of solving these issues, figuring out how to go about reasoning about errors and stuff like that. And, you know, going through the whole process, not just, you know, this is how you do it perfectly. And I think being able to pivot towards that kind of concept. Uh, so when I start a new project, I'll usually try and go into it with some sort of prototype already coded out. So I have kind of like a falling point to, to work from. Um, but as far as like a script or anything like that, I don't really bring anything. Uh, I've tried doing scripts in the past and I was, you know, botched that terribly so I just decided to just add lib it and I found that I've kind of gotten into a place that really works for me being able to bring these like project-based streams to, to people from start to finish I feel like that's a valuable uh, concept that isn't I mean my one video or one series I did like it was like 22 hours of you know a 22 hour project that's like a course on Udemy and it's start to finish. So I, that's that's kind of what I pivoted to. That's kind of what I want to bring to people. And that's what I've been doing. And I feel like it's starting to resonate with the people that do come into the stream and see what I'm doing. So I think that's a big, important aspect of it. And that's also what works for me as like a content creator, I guess you could say, is it doesn't necessarily work for me the best to try and like record videos of me doing it and then edit it down to this, you know, nice little package with a bow. I, it works better for me to kind of like be live and on the spot and like interacting with people and stuff like that. It works better for me, but it might not work better for the next guy who's doing it. So it's just kind of, you got to figure out what works best for you and roll with it. Well, what's, what's super interesting about you saying that is, is I, I actually just recently had a conversation with a client um, where he was, or he, he was concerned about like, he wasn't really working on his social media aspect of anything, but he was more so working on the content and we were seeing positive results and it, and it, it sort of seems like that's what you're doing where, I mean, you're not really necessarily concerned about your social media presence, but what you're doing is you are working on the content where, you know, just cutting out music or doing something where like people like real things now. They like to not have, you know, the sort of reality TV. They want, like, real TV, if that makes sense. And so you showing the real organic way of doing things, you know, it's 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 not rocket science to say, like, oh, you know, Sean Sean's just showing his full procedure. But in ter- from a content creator perspective, that's actually, like, really 
in tune with what people are looking for right now. And what that what that shows is that you're working more on your content. And the fact that it's growing means, sure, like, of course, YouTube, the platform, is helping you with that. But, I mean, where else you can upload it? But you're not sitting there worrying about, I need to hit the latest hashtags. I need to worry about the latest trends. Is Instagram organic, dead? Do I need now need to go to LinkedIn? Like, these are things that, that Mike and I have concerned ourselves with where I'll be watching videos um, for hours, not all one day, but hours where I'm literally sitting there learning how to, you know, grow on Instagram. Like what hashtags do I use? What do I do? You know, I don't want to do anything scammy, but I want to do it right. I want to do it according to the platform. And then sure enough, like two weeks later or whatever, maybe a couple months later comes along. Oh, well, Instagram's algorithm screwed us all out of this. So anything you've been doing is dead and like you're going to get shadow banned or something. And now we have to go and do this whole other thing. And it's just like you're putting all of this work into something that like, yes, exposure means a lot, but your bubble can be popped at any time by some random by like just a random algorithm change. And it's not it's not Instagram being nefarious. It's them changing the platform just like any app would update. It's just the way it is. And it's just a matter of like you putting work and like anyone else putting work into their work, into their content is a way actually of getting exposure as long as you have some sort of outlet where people can access you and as long as there's you know good seo in your case tags and that type of thing you don't need the best exposure necessarily because like you said you cut out music and bang your your subscribers went up by like 10 percent or whatever it was like you got a good amount of subscribers from that people are liking the new content and so it's almost like building your content and and evolving it over time so that it's not perfect the first time but it strives for perfection over time that's almost that's almost uh to the point of of uh of like trying to get exposure like it, it's the same way how like the guy who's on instagram today let's say he's a photographer so it makes sense he's on instagram he's posting stuff he could also be on Flickr. he could be on this visco or whatever the hell i think that's a photography app God, I'm old now. <laughs> this he could be on Visco, like whatever. Like he could be on all of these things, and all these guys, like Gary V and stuff, they'll all say, like, I don't know if you listen to Gary V at all, but they'll say, go to TikTok, go to LinkedIn. That's where you need to be. You know, Instagram organic is dead. Whatever, blah blah blah. Like I'm not quoting him. This is just stuff I've heard because I've listened to his content piecemeal. And so it's just like this is getting exhausting for someone who doesn't do it every day, and for someone who just wants to create good content. I think that. As long as my content's being put out there, it's good enough. And and I shouldn't be I should be concerned but not worried about the 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 networking so much as I should be creating good content cuz I can maybe get a viral clip or snippet of the show, let's say, of the podcast. Put that on Instagram or put that wherever on Twitter. It goes viral, people show up. If they see the rest of the show was crap, they're out of there. And then that virality got me no audience. Because they don't, they don't want to stick around. So, like, the slow burn is more sustainable. There's more, I keep putting my microphone here. The slow burn is more sustainable than the, than the, like, let's worry about all the trends. Let's worry about, like, Twitter and stuff. Like, we do that all. We do Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Like, we do all that. But, like, I'm not worried about it, if that makes sense. And, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really good point because uh, where I can relate to that a lot is I see a lot of coding YouTube channels specifically that they're, it seems like every week they're releasing a new series on, okay, now we're doing this and now we're doing this technology and now we're learning React and now we're learning GraphQL and now we're going to look at Svelte and blah, 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 blah. 
And I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Great. You're, you're catering to all the good stuff. But like, again, it comes back to those. Okay. Well, there's a three to five minute video snippet of how to do something at the very basic level. And it doesn't really go into much detail or in like a real life actual coding scenario. And I feel like at that point, you're just trying to like maximize on what's trending and whatnot. Whereas the, the approach that I've been taking is if anybody's checked out my YouTube channel, obviously, you know that I focus heavily on Vue.js. So if anybody wants to learn anything view related, if they search up, you know, view, hopefully I'll come up and they'll have not just one small series on, okay, this is how you do Vue.js mixed with, you know, 15,000 other different technologies. They're going to see multiple projects all working in view and talking about like, I guess the most trending I've ever done was talking about that uh, functional API for view three coming out and stuff like that. And I've, and I've been talking about doing like a view three series because that's trending. But again, that aligns with my ultimate goal of like producing Vue.js content. So it's not like, okay, Angular 15 is coming out next week. We got to learn Angular 15 so I can bring it to the people because that's no, nobody looking for rabbit works is looking for uh, Angular. That's a, that's a really good point is, is you're like, you're focusing on view and, 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 and everybody else seems to be, and I'm not, I'm not saying that like you're a pioneer. I'm sure other people are doing this too. And like, we're not pioneers. Like Mike and I aren't pioneers either. Like there's other programming podcasts, but I think what, what our type of business is, so you're in my business and a bunch of other businesses out there are like surely as well, is that we're almost treating it more like an art form. I think I would say not like we're not that we're drawing or not that we're geniuses. We're not the Picasso of, of videos or, or, or podcasts. We're not, we're not, I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but what I'm saying is, is I think our approach is more that like if, if, if podcasts stopped trending, like if it just stopped growing so much, I can't see myself or Mike ending the podcast Short of literally our show getting zero listens, you know, if no one's listening, then maybe we're kind of done, but we're not going to like, like, like we're not going to necessarily follow the trend of no, 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 no one's podcasting these days. We're all doing, you know, 10, 10 minute videos or something on IGTV. So like everyone go to IGTV. Yeah, exactly. It's like, as long as there's some sort of market for this, like we're going to evolve and we're going to change. And like some stuff I'm saying that we're not doing, we might do in the future. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is that I don't want to be one of those businesses that necessarily, at least at this point, again, I like people change, but I, at this point, I, I can't see myself like, let's say, cause we're working on the H or I'm working on the HTML, all the things website and like we have like a really big content plan for, and we have a really big plan and we've talked about it on a previous episode and like we might post like, you know, some trendy articles on there, of course, because it's going to be a news source as well. It's going to be something that people can easily come and tune in to be like, Oh look, this is, you know, this angular or whatever, like this new angular or look react. Did this change this week? Like whatever, whatever it is like, sure. That's going to be the trendy stuff. But just because we're posting it on the site doesn't necessarily mean we're going to like change our content, our core, which is our podcast. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, the talk of the town in the discord. You know, if, if, if everyone that week, let's say angular a new angular version releases but everyone that week for whatever reason is having trouble with wordpress wordpress is that is the topic of that discord this week it's not going to be it's not going to be like us trying to get exposure like no guys stop talking about wordpress look at angular (laughs) yeah no and i think that's what you kind of you have that kind of concept going for you guys already being kind of like 
web news and HTML, all the things, this is like current events and web development kind of stuff. You have that ability to be able to post a trending topic article or blog post or whatever and have it be relevant where if I were to just do like a random, okay, this is what I think about, you know, the new version of Angular or whatever, then it would be completely off basis. It wouldn't make any sense. Whereas something for you guys, because you're more of a broad topic, you have that like news kind of thing going on, all all aspects of news, tech related and whatnot going and so it's more open kind of like platform which in a way that could be that can be nice because you know open your possibilities up to all different types of topics to be talking about versus kind of having to be in so or in sort of a pigeonhole but if you don't look at it like and treat it like being in a pigeonhole you're not really in a pigeonhole you're just focusing on something that you want to focus on exactly and i'm actually like like with that being said i'm actually super interested to the listener out there you know, if you're a content creator or thinking about becoming a content creator, I'd be super interested in knowing what your kind of balance looks like. Like, are you really focused on, are you one of those people? And there's nothing wrong with it where you look at the trends and make, make top, make content based on the trends so that you get clicks because those topics are popular online in general. Or are you the type of content creator that goes, no, I'm going to, you know, make my, maybe you're a photographer. I'm going to take my photos or no, I'm going to make my app the way I want it to. And, you know, barring, you know, some fixes for UX, of course, you got to make sure the UX is good, but like barring, you know, making some changes for the users in that way, you know, it's still your app. It's still your thing. You're not worrying about like, damn, I got to change my YouTube channel to like a flower picking channel because that's trending. You know, you're not worried about that type of stuff. You're just worried about. So like, what are you worried about is what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. I think, you know, hit us up on any of our social medias. Cause I'd be super interested in knowing what you know, what are you up to? Like, how do you balance it? Do you go out to the trends? Are you going after the events? Are you going after the TikToks and the Instagram videos of the world? Or are you just worried about let's make some quality content and just tweet about it here and there type of thing? Definitely. And I do want to actually uh, give a shout out to the nerdy dev in the community or in the, the HTML things server. He goes under the name Pratik in the server, but he has a YouTube channel that he runs uh, the nerdy dev. And he does these uh, shorter, shorter based videos, but they're on topics that aren't very well covered that I haven't really seen before. So for instance, uh, one of his series is understanding, demystifying and understanding promises, um, understanding middleware functions and express uh, remote work, introduction and beginnings and benefits. So like, you know, really good kind of like stuff that's not covered over and over and over again by everybody and their mother on YouTube. So I think stuff like that also really can be very beneficial, even if they are shorter videos and whatnot. If you're covering topics that are of interest to people that have the questions that you can't necessarily find on Stack Overflow, like how are you going to figure out, you can find a blog post on how to become a remote developer, but having that interaction and seeing in videos and having somebody that you can communicate with a little bit better. I think, I think it just makes it more personable with the content creator and the viewer on top of everything. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, I think that's a good closing note unless you had anything else. I think that's, that's a good shout out too. Like uh, I, I, I believe it was like earlier on when he joined, I believe I like checked out some of his videos and I think I had seen a couple actually before he had joined the discord as well. So yeah, go check him out for sure. Um, I'll leave a link to his 
uh, channel in the in the show notes as well. Um, and yeah, unless you have anything else, unless you have anything else to add, Sean, I think that I think that'll be a good uh, conclusion for this episode. I don't have anything else. I think it's been a pretty good episode. Uh, I just wanted to, I guess, do a shameless self plug. Oh yeah, go ahead. Of course, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> So if you guys want to check out my YouTube channel, you can find me uh, at youtube.com slash rabbitworks JavaScript and works is spelled W-E-R-K-S. Otherwise you can, it does populate now if you spell works normally. So rabbitworks comes up and my channel comes up first. So that's cool. And so as far as SEO and good stuff like that, but yeah, definitely I try and do the live streams uh, Thursday evenings and then possibly on the weekend depending on scheduling but definitely check that out if you're interested in learning uh Vue.js and full stack authentic or full stack applications using view and node essentially so other than that i don't really have anything anything else uh thanks for having me on the uh, podcast matt i really appreciate the the plugs and everything like that no problem i uh, think thank you for uh, filling in for Mike this week um, for our last Triple X episode as well. Vin Diesel and friends. So that's a good, a big honor, I hope. <laughs> I hope it's a big honor. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Xander Cage, I want to do the double barrel backflip Superman barrel. <laughs> I'm glad that you watched it enough to know like a reference because I didn't want to be the only one, but. <laughs> Backing up when you were explaining that. And Mike was like, I've never seen these. And he <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> go watch them. Yeah, Mike, you're probably listening to this. Go watch them, man. Come on, buddy. Catch up, and then we can do another Triple X. Uh, hopefully, there's a fourth one. We can do another Triple X episode in the future. But <laughs> Thanks again, Matt, for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you for listening, and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML, all the things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter. That's via at HTML, everything. We are on Medium, and we're on GitHub. And remember, we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. That's Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. Find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. Find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. Find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from the self or Chris from self-made web designer. You can find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com and Tim from the web hacker. You can find him at thewebhacker.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.